Hey everybody, Sathya here and welcome to the New Man Podcast. I am starting this podcast and you know what that means. You are about to listen to an interview. Now, of course, you already knew that because uh, you read the title, but let me just say I am so excited to share this with you. Um, I am interviewing a man that I consider to be the godfather of Christian men's health. I mean, this guy has just pioneered a really special movement called Real Men Connect. He's very humble. Um, he doesn't even really bring up his ministry until the very end of the interview. Um, but I have the utmost respect for, for what he does. And the reason that we, we didn't really get a lot into Real Men Connect, the name of his ministry, is because this guy has an out-of-this-world story. I mean, honestly, it should be made into a, a Hollywood film one day. It, it is absolutely phenomenal and just a testament of the work of God in his life uh, and, and the miracle working power of God and how much he can just turn a, a life around, you know, regardless of circumstance. Uh, but it also, it, you're going to learn a lot about uh, Dr. Joe Martin and, and just the man of character and integrity he is and the movement that he's pioneering. It, it's really phenomenal. So I'm, uh, I'm really excited to share this interview with you. Uh, we have broken this into two parts. And that is simply because the interview went long. And uh, I don't want um, yeah, we, we do more short form, form content here and it just felt more appropriate to break it up. So um, I didn't want to clog up your, your podcast threads too much here. I hope that works out okay. Uh, this is the first time we've ever had to do this. So I'm learning here as I go. But without further ado, I'm going to send you in. This is my interview with Dr. Joe Martin, part one. Enjoy. Welcome to the New Man Podcast, a show for brave men to experience freedom in their faith, sexuality, and relationships. The goal? To provide practical tools and timeless principles that help you become the man you were made to be. And now, your host, Sathya Sam. All right, well, I'm here with Dr. Joe Martin of Real Men Connect. And uh, Dr. Joe and I connected over a year ago. I had the privilege of interviewing on his podcast and uh, just hearing about um, this fired up man of God who's just excited about what God is doing in the lives of men. And I think we all know that, you know, uh, as men, we need all the resources we can get. We'd like to think we can figure it all out on our own. Um, but I am so grateful for guys like Dr. Joe and the ministry he has. So it's a pleasure to have you. Dr. Joe, thanks so much for being here. Oh, my pleasure, Sathya. You know, you say it's been over a year. I can't believe it's been a year. Has it been that long? It has been a wow, year, so yeah. just on my show. <laughs> but, it's it's uh, pandemic time, man. It just flies. Wow. It it's just crazy. flies. And I, I meant to do this before we hit record. I hope you don't mind me doing this on air. But it is Sathya, not Sathya. And I, I didn't want to go through the whole interview here with you okay. pronouncing it differently. That's my bad, though. I should have brought that up before. No, I apologize. No problem. I got you. I got you. All right. <laughs> That's cool, man. Well, hey, uh, you are not just passionate about working with men because you you picked it randomly. Um, you talk a lot about uh, sexuality and faith, which, as we know, are issues that are a little bit taboo in church culture. Uh, but you got a story yourself, Dr. Joe. Um, and so I don't even want to give too much away, but I'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about what growing up was like. Uh, you had a, a pretty... Um, a pretty eventful upbringing. Uh, just set the stage for us a little bit. Tell us about what early life was like. Yeah, my, you know, I describe my life as being in one sentence, simplified, saying this: I went from rags to riches to ruin to redemption. Hmm. Rags to riches to ruin to redemption. And what you're talking about is my rags story. Um, grew up like a lot of kids who grew up in the inner city in a really tough um, project area in Miami, Florida, called Liberty City. And to kind of give your listeners a frame of reference. Um, 
if they're over the age of 40, they can remember Liberty City based on a rap group called Two Live Crew. <laughs> that's okay. really old school. So yeah, that's that's before your time. You you wouldn't know that. It but, is. Um, I apologize. <laughs> but if you're younger than 40, what they're what we're known for with Liberty City in Miami is um, Grand Theft Auto, the video game. I was actually going to say that. I thought I yeah. recognized it from that. Okay. And so, in either way, we're, we're we have a, a bad reputation. True. Based on that rap group and that video game. But I grew up there. My mom was um, a 16-year-old mother, had me at 16, had my sister wow. at 17. So she had two kids while she was a junior in high school. Um, and my dad decided to leave the home when I was only um, two years old. So I never really got to know my dad until I became an adult. But my mom, as you can imagine, having two kids at the age of 17, her mom passed away when she was only 14. And hmm. she had a dad who passed away when he, she was, um, my mom was 26 my dad passed or my grandfather passed away. So my mom had to raise us by herself, but because she struggled being a single mom with two kids living in the hood, um, she developed her addiction problems. Um, it wasn't porn, it was alcohol and okay. it devastated her life. And my mom was great when she was great, but she was horrible when she was horrible. She could get mean and angry and abusive. And, but we loved her dearly. And my mom, she passed away in 2019, but oh. some of the greatest things I, um, that I do now and some things I say, I get it from my mom. Cause when she was great, she was great. Hmm. But my mom dealt with a lot of demons in her life. And so with her dealing with her stuff, it was hard for her to raise her kids, but she was so focused on trying to maintain and survive her own life. So she wasn't really a hands-on mom where she was cooking and all this other stuff. My mom cooked her last meal for us when I think I was 10 years old. And oh, so wow. we were pretty much trying to live by ourselves to survive my sister and I, my sister was just one year younger than me. And it got so bad that the other she, my sister used to steal food from her fast food job just so we could eat. And so we, it was time we would starve, but we were also living in a very dangerous environment. So I'm watching drug dealing, gang banging and violence, man. I lost six of my friends before I reached the age of 16 years old, murdered in front of me. And I had at least a dozen friends who got incarcerated because that's just when crack hit the United States way back in the early eighties, uh, maybe early to mid eighties on crack hit and the epidemic and it was it was horrible so a lot of my friends were getting arrested and so my biggest ambition growing up in my neighborhood was just to make it to my 18th birthday because I didn't most of my friends didn't make it to 18 and so living in that environment I was just people ask what do you want to be when you grow up and they say you know I want to be a doctor lawyer teacher astronaut engineer they say little Joe what do you want to be when you grow up I said alive <laughs> that, that was that was really what and I was serious oh I wasn't even gosh. laughing about it because yeah. I had I used to have nightmares recurring nightmares that I was going to die before I reached the age of 16 because all my friends were dying wow and so I was always living in this traumatic um state of being and my mom god bless her soul she cared enough about us to know that she may not be a, been equipped to take care of us but she tried to get people who would my godmother mm -hmm. kind of stepped in to help with my sister my mom recruited my cousin to help take care of me. He was an older guy, about six years older than I was. And he came in and stepped in because my father wasn't there. But hmm. that same man, he was the first man to ever tell me he loved me. And no man ever told me he loved me before. And I grew up in a community where you didn't see fathers in the home at all. I mean, I only had one friend in our whole neighborhood who had a mom and dad in the home. And everybody else, it was just single moms everywhere. And we live in a community where I'm, I'm not talking about just a, like a block. I'm talking about there's five high schools and two malls. Wow. And I only knew one family who had a mom and a dad in the home. Well, my mom knew that I needed a male influence. So she got my cousin to help with me while my godmother helped with my sister. 
And that man um, ended up betraying my trust and sexually abused me as a child for three years, from 12 to 14 years old. That's when I was introduced to pornography um, mm -hmm. because he exposed me to it. Okay. And I didn't know that that was gonna be the beginning of the end of my um, innocence because I suffered that abuse for three years and I never told a soul about it. And eventually he was taken out of my life. My mom kicked him out. She didn't even know that he abused me. She just had a mother intuition that something's not right. And cause she asked me, was he abusing me? And I lied, I said, no, because he was also feeding me. Remember my mom wasn't cooking and I'm thinking, okay, he's abusing me but I'm at least getting food. Yeah. And so my thing is, okay, did I go without the abuse and go hungry? You know, how do I do this? And yeah. so I never um, turned him in, but she kicked him out, which that really made my life miserable after that, because now I was really struggling and I was suicidal from 12 to 16 years old huh. and just ready to end my life. But that was the beginning. So in addition to all of that stuff, I wasn't a great student in high school. I was, sure. Now, I wasn't horrible. I wasn't one of those bad kids who get suspended. I wasn't a drug dealer, or gang banger. I was one of those kids who were quiet, set aside. And if I would have committed suicide, it would have shocked everybody because they'll say he seemed like such a pleasant kid. And hmm. I was, a, and I'm not saying this to brag, I was a great kid. I was just in a bad situation. Yeah. I was very respectful, Sadia. I mean, it was yes, ma'am, no, sir. Not one time did the teacher ever have to call home to, to tell my mom to discipline me or anything. And even though I wasn't making great grades, I wasn't failing. And so I was just one of those kids who kind of went along with the program. And so <laughs> everybody loved me. But I was yeah. just, but every day I wanted to die because I felt that God had gave me a bad hand because I didn't feel like I acted like the people in our neighborhood. I didn't sound like them. I didn't have the same interests. And here I was okay. stuck in this environment I couldn't get out of, get out of. And then because of my nice niceness, this guy rapes me for three years. And I'm thinking, what in the world is going on? Now my friends are dying. My mom's uh, addicted to alcohol. My sister's stealing food to feed us. What <laughs> I got to live for? And so that was the rags part of my story. And that's where I came from. God, thank God that's not where I ended up. Yeah. But that's where I started. So I'm hoping that sheds some light on it. Yeah, and we'll we'll get into all the other parts, but my goodness, I feel like that's a movie you just uh laid out for us there. Um uh I wanna ask so many questions, but I guess I guess what I will ask is you had mentioned when the stepfather, the abusive stepfather is uh oh, he out was of the my picture. stepfather, he's my cousin. Oh, he's pardon my me, cousin. cousin. Current, yeah. your, so your abusive cousin, meant to be this kind of fatherly figure right. uh, for you, he gets removed from the situation. Your mom can kind of sense something's not right. Mm -hmm. uh, for somebody who maybe hasn't experienced abuse, doesn't really understand it that well, they might hear that and say, well, that would be a great thing. Like the, the person's out of the situation, um, so you should just be able to go back to normal. Obviously, your normal was still, you know, relatively um, unusual, um, but... Why, why the downward spiral after the abuser is removed from the situation? Because you ever heard of, um, um, they call it Stockholm Syndrome? Syndrome when the, the victim now is, you know, they don't even realize they've been victimized. Right. And so here I am, I'm, I'm battling with a lot of things going on at the same time. Now let's start with uh, the, out, the um, external. I'm hungry. I need food. Now my mom, she kicks the only person out who was feeding me at least. So what am I going to do? So there were days I wouldn't eat. And so I'm going to school just to eat. And my sister, bless her heart, who's now a doctor now, that she, I didn't even tell her I was starving. She just kind of sensed it and said, huh. this dude, maybe she saw how thin I was getting and she would steal food. 
to feed wow. me. So from the external standpoint, it was spiraling because my basic needs were not being met. Okay. Um, I, you know, no one was taking care of me. Here I was, but I'm a child taking care of myself. Yeah. And my mom's not doing it. Now, internally, how you said you can spiral and it gets worse is my self-worth is down in the toilet. And I'm thinking, well, at least he loved me. I thought. Yeah. At least he told me he loved me. At least somebody paid attention to me. Yeah. And so I'm thinking I'm not worthy of anybody's love. Here's another guy abandoned me, even though it was the best thing that ever happened for him to leave. Yeah. But that Stockholm syndrome, I'm thinking, but that's that was love. So now I'm mad even at my mom. You know, <laughs> you're taking him out of the household. Now I have nobody. That's when I started contemplating suicide. Wow. And start thinking, man, maybe death is better than this. Because yeah. I had nothing, quote, to live for. Okay. Um, so it was more so the internal, um, spiritual and emotional battle. I was going, through, oh, mad at God too. God, how did you allow this to happen to me? So God, I don't want to have anything to do with you. And yeah. so now I'm angry and upset with God too. So the spiral was me trying to distance myself from God is me getting mad at my mom from taking him out of the household, me having a love hate relationship with him. Cause at least he was taking care of me, but man, he's abusing me and I didn't like it and all yeah. this other stuff. So it was just a lot to handle as a, a as a 14 year old, you know, that's a lot to, to carry with you. Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Um, and you had mentioned that the the cousin had exposed you to pornography uh, completely by by innocence, obviously. Is that in the mix at this point after he's left? Or, I mean, obviously you have some much bigger things that you're dealing with. We're talking about suicide and that kind of thing. But is it is it in the mix at all? Now, this happens when he, he was, I forgot, they have a term for it for people who are pedophiles and um, child molesters. I think they call it grooming. That he, when he was grooming me. Okay. That's how he was grooming me to, to kind of normalize what he was about to do. Got it. Okay. Okay. Me. So yeah. he's exposed me to this. So, ooh, and I'm looking at it. So he's now making this, oh, it's not that bad. It's this. And so it's it's getting me, he's prepping me and grooming me to abuse me. And yeah, that's how okay. I was introduced to pornography. Yeah, man. It's just, it's unimaginable if you haven't gone through something like that. Um, and as you mentioned, uh, that's only part one of the story here. We got rags to, <laughs> to riches, riches to ruin, to, to, to redemption. redemption. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so tell us a little bit. You you talked about how um, you knew that there was something more for you than just that that upbringing, and yet there was a, obviously a disconnect when you're young because you can't see a way out. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your sister's a doctor, so I'm gonna um, I'm gonna assume that she probably had similar sentiments. Um, Tell us a little bit then, what, what got you out of there and how did you end up in riches? What did that look like? <laughs> well, as far as at 16 years old, when I came the closest to taking my life, I had a gun in my hand. Um, well, let me put it, I had a gun in my mouth, ready to pull the trigger. And I had an encounter with God. Um, it wasn't an audible voice, Thea, but you ever had God speak to you and you can't hear anything, but it's loud? Yeah, you know what I mean? it's like the next thing under audible, right? Yeah, it's like, I know I didn't hear a voice, but I know I heard something. Yeah, <laughs> I heard yeah. something. And the voice was saying, don't do it. Don't do it. And of course, I'm thinking, who, who's that? You know, I mean, don't do it. And I realized that the voice was coming from inside of me hmm. saying, don't do it. But it wasn't my voice because everything in me wanted to do it. And so and I knew it couldn't have been the enemy. It couldn't have been the devil because the devil said, do it, do it. You know, and now I forgot to mention, I did know God because my mom, even though I told you she had some great time, great days and it's bad. 
one of my mom's greatest moments that she made us go to church. Okay. Even if she didn't always go, she <laughs> made us go to church. Matter of fact, she stopped going to church after my grandfather died. She went into a severe depression, but she always made us go. And she threatened us if we didn't go. <laughs> she said you couldn't go i couldn't go outside to play that's when kids actually like to go outside to play oh yeah back so to that it was punishment time, yeah. to stay in the house you know so <laughs> that's the only way i could go to church um go outside if i went to church so i did know about god i just didn't want to have anything to do with him anymore since my life was just so bad so i hear this voices don't do it and i'm like well why not i'm gonna get smoked and killed anyway by somebody yeah. so i might as well take out the death can't be worse than this and the voice kept repeating don't do it. And then I said, but you got to give me a reason. And this is the voice I heard next. Trust me. That's all I heard. Don't do it. And trust me several times. Wow. And then I got into an argument with nobody in the room. <laughs> I said, trust you for what? I I've been trusting you now. And what has it gotten me? My dad leaving me. My mom ignoring me. Mm -hmm. This man abusing me. The only father figure I ever knew, my grandfather dying when I was only 10 years old. What has trusting you gotten me? I can't trust you. Trust me. And I broke down crying, Cynthia. And I said, okay. And then I try to, you know, you cut a deal with God. I said, okay, okay. <laughs> I said, if you let me make it <laughs> to my 18th birthday. <laughs> <laughs> just let me make it to 18. I said, if you let me make it to 18 and I can get out of these projects, I promise you, I won't ever consider doing something like this again. Okay. And, and you're not only that, time? now that time I was 16. Okay. So I only got two more years to go. If you just let <laughs> me make it to my 18th birthday, because I now because I thought 16, I'm gonna die anyway, right? Yeah, right. And so that's why I'm taking my life. And so I said, if you just let me make it, I said, and not only will I I not consider doing something like this again, I will come back if you let me get out of here to come help other people. Come on. To give them wow. hope. And I said that and I just cut that deal. Now I'm going to cut out a lot of other stuff of that because I, I made it through that, but I'm cutting out a lot of other story. I ended up going to college. It's a whole interesting story about how I got to college. It's unbelievable because I wasn't smart enough to get in college. I got turned down by 30 colleges, right? I, so, I've, heard, I've heard you share that story on the podcast. It's, it's amazing. So yeah. I'm going to spare them the details of that. But I get to college on just by a pure miracle because of community college, I got into a community college. They'll let anybody in community college. And so um, <laughs> I get into this community college. My first semester, Cynthia, 17 credits, I got a 4.0. Whoa. I never made anything. I never made an A in high school except in PE, physical education. Okay. I get to college taking 17 credits, which is too many credits for right. a college student to take, end up having a 4.0. Graduate from there with honors, then get offered some of the same people that turned me down for college before started offering me scholarship, academic scholarships. Okay. I accepted a college to the uh, accepted a, um, a scholarship to the small college, the University of West Florida. It's in Pensacola, Florida, about 10,000 students, maybe around 9,500 when I was there. Um, there was less than 5% students of color. I was the only African-American male in all of my classes. Oh my gosh. Every last one of them. Nobody looked like me. I ended up graduating early from there at the age of 20, top of my university class, was voted student of the year out of 10,000 students on that campus. End up um, buying my first house when I was a senior in college. A year after I graduated, moved my mom out of the projects. 22 years old, started my first business. 
at the age of 24, became the youngest professor ever hired to teach in the state of Florida at the age of 24. Took Jeez. a job working as communications director for the Florida governor's office at the age of 26. Had my PhD by the time I was 28. And had written two books before I reached the age of 30. <laughs> All that oh after graduating from gosh. high school. Yes. So what what happened? Like, like if this was not a gradual thing, this sounds like you hit community college and you were off to the races. What happened? What happened was, it's one thing for people to tell you that you can't do something. Because I didn't believe I was smart enough to go to college. But when but my, my first option was to go, wasn't to go to college. It was to join the military. Because I thought that's where I could go. I can make a, a regular paycheck. I can help my mom. That kind right. of thing. That's going to be my future. But I went to a predominantly white high school. And I got to put this in context for you. Here I am living in the hood. They bust me to a predominantly white high school. Well, when I was graduating, I was the only kid from my neighborhood who was graduating on time as a senior. And there's about 40 something other kids who were eligible to graduate as a senior. They didn't make it. Okay. I was the only one. All right. Wow. So I'm going to some of my white friends who are graduating because I'm graduating with my white friends. And I'm asking, what are you doing after high school? And they said they're going to college. But what I couldn't understand is that some of my friends weren't that smart. And I didn't understand, how can they go to college? I thought you had to be smart to go to college. And I'm thinking some of them can't even spell college. How are they going to college, right? <laughs> so that put a little bit of doubt in my head that maybe maybe I should give college a try. Because this is what I was thinking, Cynthia. I'm thinking, okay, now I know I'm dumb. And I'm not going to college. But they're dumb. And they're going to college. <laughs> maybe I'm just dumb enough to go to college, too. That's what I was okay. thinking, right? <laughs> and so I went to my Navy recruiter and I told him, I said, hey, I changed my mind, man. I think I might want to go to college and maybe not go to the military. I, I think maybe I can go to college. And he was the one that started me on my journey. Hmm. He says, he tried to discourage me. He says, Joe, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I'm like, well, why not? He says, Joe, um, you're a good kid. Don't get me wrong. You're very respectful. You're a nice kid. But Joe, I told you I was a great kid growing up. He said, you're a nice kid. He said, Joe, but you're not college material. And I'm thinking, huh. okay, but... My friends, they're not college material, but they're going to, what is college material anyway? Yeah. He said, Joe, you got to be smart to go to college. He said, Joe, and I saw your SAT scores. I'm like, yeah. He said, Joe, your SAT scores are so low, they won't let you drive by college. That's what he told me. <laughs> right? Now, it's, oh it's funny gosh. to people when I tell them that story, but I wasn't laughing. Now, no I got kidding. mad. I was really insulted by that. And so I'm looking at this dude. Remember, I'm nice. I'm yes, sir, all the time. That's when I finally got disrespectful with an adult. My mom would have, she would have told me up and she knew how disrespectful I was to that man. I, I started cussing him out, you know, now I went to church, but I wasn't always saved. <laughs> so, so I'm cussing him out. And I, thought, I said, dude, you don't know me. Cause it's one thing to tell somebody they can't do something. See, cause I believe I couldn't, but when you tell me I won't and I can't, now what I want to do, Cynthia, I want to prove you wrong. Of course. That's when I start applying. So when I applied and I got turned down, I was getting discouraged until this community college accepted me. And this is what happened that first semester. I'm thinking, I got to prove them wrong. I got to prove them wrong. I can't fail. I can't fail. That first semester, I signed up with too many credits, but I did it. And Cynthia, I didn't go to sleep, dude. Oh, I bet. I never worked so hard in my freaking life. <laughs> I never studied so hard, read so much. And oh, by the way, I was eight hours away from home. There are no cell phones. I'm living in a community. I went from living in a city where there's millions of people to less than 5,000 people. Wow. And 95% and of them are white. All right. So I had a lot of time on my hands to do not to get into trouble because there was nothing to do. And this place I lived in was and I can't make this name up. It's called Niceville, Florida. Uh. Niceville. <laughs> you can look it up and Google it. It's actually a place that exists. 
Okay. Niceville, Florida. It is so country and southern. Oh man, it was nothing. They got one road that's going through it, and they just got a McDonald's when I moved there, right? Oh <laughs> so wow, okay, just okay. Got a McDonald's. And so <laughs> here I was. So I'm working my butt off, and when I got that 4.0, the switch went on, Cynthia. Okay. Wait I can minute. do it. I can do it. Yeah. I can do anything I put my mind to, and I don't even have to be smart. I just got to outwork everybody. Right. So I never worked so hard. Now, the, now the, here's the great thing, though. After that first semester, I got a 4.0. I never got a 4.0 after that. Okay. <laughs> but I always made the deans or president list every semester because what I realized that, yeah, you can outwork everybody, but you will burn yourself out working too hard. Yeah. So I yeah. had to learn how to work smarter, not harder. Right. So my first book that I wrote when I became a professor was called Tricks of the Grade. <laughs> it's 10 strategies for acing college. It might be, still be some of those books in print. But it was showing them how I use street smart, street smart strategies to ace college. Because wow. I learned that, yeah, you can work hard, but you can also work smart. I love it. And I worked yeah. smart, and I knew how to manipulate the system. And yeah. I ended up becoming voted student of the year. When you get voted student of the year at your college, the students don't vote you student of the year. The professors do. Huh. I learned how to win over okay. professors. Okay. And okay. so I, I put my street smarts that I learned in the hood, and I applied them in college, and I ended up acing college. <laughs> And I took off, man. So it came out, and I tell people, I was able to achieve that so fast out of not um, inspiration, desperation. Yeah, I was yeah. more desperate than anything. And the last thing you want to do is corner somebody and, and challenge them that I'm going to kill you or you got to fight your way out of this. That's right. That's how I felt my years in college. I ended up only going to college for three and a half years. I got out so fast because I was <laughs> fighting to get out because I wanted to get out so bad. Yeah. And so that's all it was. It was just sheer determination, grit, grinding. And the only thing I regret about my college experience, I didn't have a lot of fun in college. Okay. I didn't go to parties. I didn't do yeah. all this. I didn't join fraternities and all that stuff. It was about business. Yeah. I yeah. want to get me a house. I want to move my mom out to projects. I want to start my own business. I don't ever want to be poor again. Yeah. That's all. I, I say, I can enjoy the rest of my life later. Yeah. Right now, those kids can have, they can get drunk, do what they want to do. That's not me. I'm here about business. And so I worked everybody and people used to look at me strange, like, why is this? He said, he's only 18 or 19. Why does he act like he's 39? Because <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> yeah. I didn't hang out. I didn't do that kind of stuff. So that's how I did it. That's unreal. Unreal. It's, um, yeah, it's, it's a good thing for our listeners to hear because I think sometimes when you have those kinds of, you know, you just, you're dealt not the greatest set of cards and you tend to discount yourself, but you eventually got into a place where actually it was a huge advantage. And you're able to kind of leverage it. So by the time you're 30, you've been a homeowner for almost a decade, uh, entrepreneur, uh, professor at like a record age. You got your PhD. You've moved your mom out of the projects. It sounds like, um, you know, Dr. Joe, you're even Dr. Joe before 30 here. And you've checked off a lot of boxes. Right. Um, I know I know enough of your story to know that. Um, in some ways, you you wound up living what's very typical of somebody who experiences abuse and and those kinds of things when they're younger. If you don't get those things healed up and resolved along the way, uh, eventually it catches up with you. And and no matter how in some ways success just becomes a magnifier of the problems. Mm -hmm. um, tell us a little bit about that transition from riches now True. to ruin. What yeah. happened there? You're absolutely right, Cynthia. You're right on point. Um, I tried to outrun my past. Hey everybody, Sathya here. I just wanted to say goodbye before you tune out. Uh, but no, I really, I just wanted to say I hope you enjoy 
uh, enjoyed this interview uh, so far. This is just part one. Uh, man, you think it's been good so far. Just you wait until part two. Uh, we go deeper into Dr. Joe Martin's story. We talk a little bit about the movement, uh, Real Men Connect and everything he's doing. And uh, I can guarantee that if you like this first part, you're going to like the second part even more. Um, it got just better and better. And um, and then right at the end of, of the second interview, um, just as we were wrapping up, he went into the, a little bit of kind of a speaker mode and just released an absolute pearl of wisdom about identity. Um, man, that's such a big topic to me. And the way he articulated, like my spirit was just reverberating like a hundredfold. I was so excited as he talked about it and the way he articulated it. It was just, it was amazing. So uh, thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I encourage you to go check out realmenconnect.com uh, if you haven't already, or it might be realmenconnect.org. We'll get the, the link right in the show, show notes. Um, and hey, if you're looking for more great content, I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast. We release things like this all the time. Uh, stay tuned as well. Of course, uh, another reason to subscribe, we're going to be releasing part two tomorrow. Uh, I hope you enjoy it. But until then, have an amazing day and we'll talk very, very soon. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The New Man Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, you can share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest, please sign up for the weekly newsletter at www.sathiasam.com or follow on Instagram at Sam. Thanks again and see you next time.